Well, good morning, church. Great to be with you again uh, this morning. And even as Todd had uh, was up here, was sharing a little bit about Slingshot. He mentioned the commons. Uh, maybe you're new to uh, Mission View, or you haven't been here for a while. Take some time, go down to the commons. I think we all have 10 minutes to spare, and just uh, kind of connect. I think that's important as a church that we do that. I was so grateful last week. I went down to the commons, and uh, many of you walked up to me, and we were able to just chat a little bit. Some of you I know, some of you I don't know. So it's really good. Sometimes it's hard to get to know people on a Sunday morning. And so the commons is a great place to be able to come, get a cup of coffee, spend a little bit of time, uh, meet some new people. So let me encourage you uh, to do that. Last week I said my wife was not able to be here over the time that I'm going to spend with you at Mission View. My wife is here today. And so she is sitting right behind Adam and his sister right there, Ann Peters. So thank you for greeting her. And so, uh, uh, Todd, you and I have something in common. We both have been married for 27 years. And so uh, it is good to be here uh, this morning. Meet me, if you will, in Acts chapter 2 this morning as we continue this great series called Overcome, the making of a leader uh, dealing with the Apostle Peter. Uh, and as you're turning there or you got your phones out and looking at the passage for this morning, I want to ask you a question. This, to me is a life-changing question. It is not a question that I just want to use as an opener this morning. This question drives me, and it should drive us. When was the last time your soul soared? When was the last time your soul was so full and so stirred for the things of God that it was not only evident to you, but it was evident to those around you? A soul that is so alive. Say the word alive with me. You're not alive. Say the word alive. Yeah, that your soul was so alive that it was evident of the passion, the purpose, and the plan of God. So in 2014, I had the great privilege of going to the very, for the very first time to Malawi, Africa. I had never been there before, uh, so I went. Uh, I was with uh, myself and uh, two other men from the United States, and so we were spending about 12 days in Malawi, Africa. On one particular day, we went four hours into the bush, so we're in a Land Rover, and uh, there is little air conditioning, and for four hours, we go from asphalt to a gravel road, we get off a main road, and we have at least two hours on a dirt road before we will finally come up to the village. We are driving and driving and driving on this dirt road, and I'm like, wow, Lord, this must be the ends of the earth. Malawi is not the ends of the earth, but you can see it from there. And uh, so we are driving, and uh, we went from a dirt road to pretty much making our own road, our own path. We are about a mile out from the village, and we begin to see children. They are playing soccer with rolled up pieces of plastic. And they are playing and they are laughing and they see the Land Rover and they stop. And so all of a sudden they turn and they start running to the Land Rover. And the moment they come to the window, they see us and their eyes get about as big as saucers. And we hear this word, Azungu, Azungu, which in Chichiwa means white man. Many of them have never seen a white man, let alone a tall, good-looking white man. 
And so they kept saying that, Azungu, 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 as we're making our way into the village. We get out, and the first thing I hear is singing. We go up an embankment, and there is, as you can see the picture, a thatched roof made for someone under six feet tall. And there must have been 500 people there. They have been waiting for over two hours to hear the word of God. And when we show up, they turn, Azungu, Azungu, Azungu. I want to tell you that in 2014, my soul soared. I was so fully alive for the word of God. I have never in my life felt the spirit of God bring such joy and such boldness to declare the word of God. It's always interesting when we are talking to the people in Malawi, when they hear something that they like, the ladies go like that. It's crazy, but I love hearing it. And so I'll be preaching and I'm preaching boldly and I'm talking about the word of God. These ladies are and I'm like, oh, yes, it is incredible. When was the last time that your soul soared for the things of God? See, we have not been called by God to sit, but to go. We have not been called by God to be passive, but to be passionate. We have not been called by God to just be inward focused, but to be outward focused. To not be bored with our Christianity, but to be bold with our Christianity. And certainly not to live a wasted life, but a worshipful life for the Lord. And when we come to this passage in Acts chapter 2 this morning, I believe Peter finally gets it. He finally understands, and there's a point and time at Pentecost here where his soul soars for the glory of God. And he goes from being a broken man to a bold man who proclaims without apology the word of God. This is an incredible passage. Now, last week, we talked about in Luke 22 that Peter is overconfident and he is arrogant and he's prideful and, and he just kind of uh, is self-centered. And he follows Jesus at a distance. Now we said last week, when Peter followed Jesus at a distance, the result was he denied the Lord not once, not twice, but tell me, three times, three times. And, and we said that when we follow Jesus at a distance, we fail to confess him for who he truly is. When we follow at a distance, we fail to uh, proclaim him to others. And we fail to live that set-apart, sanctified lifestyle in our words and our actions and our attitude. And so in Acts chapter 2 here, this morning, we see a different man than we did in Luke 22. We see a man who is on fire for the Lord. His soul is soaring for the Lord. He is a man who is wrecked by God. Anybody here ever been wrecked by God in a good way? Where God has stirred something in your heart and you cannot shake it. He is wrecked by God. And he has gone from being overconfident to an overcomer. We would say this, Peter is all in for the all in all. Would you say that with me? Peter is all in 
for the all in all. So about four of you said it. Let's say it again. Peter is all in for the all in all. That, that's what we're going to see this morning in Acts 2. It is the man. It is the woman of God who is willing to say, forget about me. It's all about him. And I will stand for him and proclaim him and let my soul soar for him that they will make an impact not only in this generation, but in the generation to come. Acts chapter 2. Now, it is Pentecost. Some of you are like, what is Pentecost? Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 is when the Spirit of God came down and, and ascended uh, or descended upon the disciples, giving them great power, the power of the Holy Spirit, so that they would boldly proclaim Jesus Christ, that they would boldly proclaim the claims of who he is. And Jesus has ascended. The same power that God gave to those disciples is the same power that he's given each and every one of you for those of us that are in Christ. And so Peter is bold, and we're going to see how he is bold. Uh, look at verse 22 of Acts chapter 2. It says, men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. Uh, Peter boldly proclaims the validation of Christ. He approves, validates the authenticity that Jesus is who he says he is. And he says, men of Israel, listen to this. This is not something that I have come up with. This is not something about me. This is, a, this is something about the Lord. This is an important, life-changing aspect in Peter's life. He is validating that Jesus is who he says he is. What he is sharing is life-changing. This is something that I think we fail to do within the church, is to share something that is so life-changing. We have the most life-changing message in the world. And yet because of fear or intimidation, or we're not quite sure, or we're afraid someone's going to ask us about the book of Leviticus, well, we, we don't know what we're going to say. And yet Peter says, I'm going to validate that Jesus is who he says he is. And I'm going to share that. And, and what we see here in just this verse of verse 22 we see that Peter is speaking to those who knew Jesus. They had seen the crucifixion. They had seen the evidence of the resurrection. And so Peter is talking to them about something that they already know. That God the Father um, publicly endorsed Jesus of Nazareth by miracles and signs and wonders. That when Christ came to this earth, he showed that he wasn't just a good man, a moral man, but he was the son of man. That he was truly God in the flesh. God with skin on. And that God the Father endorsed his son and said through his miracles, through his signs, through those wonders, this is my son. Christ came to do the will of the Father who sent him. Why have you come? Why are you here? Why are you living? Why do you walk around on this earth every single day? So when I get up in the morning and I shuffle to the bathroom, you know what you're ta I'm talking about. You shuffle to the bathroom, you look in the mirror. Are you able to say, I want to do something today that will matter for eternity? I want to do something today that will outlive me. 
And so when Peter shares to these people, it's a large crowd. And he is validating who Jesus is. He is truly explaining to them that Jesus Christ was sent by God the Father to do a work that we could not do. So he endorses him. Now this word endorsed is a great word. It it means to declare one's public approval or support of. Let's take Taylor Swift for a moment. Taylor Swift is a very popular singer today. Taylor Swift drinks Diet Coke. And I would too if I were Taylor Swift, because Taylor Swift was approached by Diet Coke in 2014, and she was given, are you ready for this, $26 million to drink Diet Coke. I do not like Diet Coke, but I could learn to like it. (laughs) For $26 million, she endorses Diet Coke. Now, could you imagine for a moment if Taylor Swift has been given that money She's supposed to drink Diet Coke, and yet someone takes a picture of her holding a Pepsi product. We would say, what a traitor. Uh, She says she endorses Diet Coke, loves Diet Coke, but she's endorsing something else. Church, what are we endorsing? Are we truly endorsing the one who loves us so much that he gave us his life? Or are we endorsing something other than the one that we say we love, that we say we long for, Jesus Christ? What's interesting is that Peter appeals to them by what they already know. Notice he says this, by miracles and wonders and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This is a great place for us to start. That when we share Christ with somebody, We don't appeal to them by what we know. We appeal to them by what they already know. Meet them where they are at. So the first thing we see about Peter's changed life is he validates, he endorses Christ of who he is, that he is truly the son of the living God. And God the Father has done this as well. The second thing that Peter boldly proclaims is the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 23. This man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ was ordained by God. It was not something that God the Father said, oh man, I did not see that one coming. God the Father ordained long ago that the perfect way for mankind to be redeemed would be through his son, Jesus Christ. And so Christ came to do the will of the Father. It involved the cross. It involved his death. It involved blood. And when Christ came, aren't you thankful he rescued you from your sins? That's a great place for an amen, so I'm going to give you another run at it, okay? Aren't you thankful he rescued you from your sins? Amen. He rescued us from our sins. He redeemed us by his blood, and he has regenerated us by his Holy Spirit. And Peter says, listen, this Christ who was crucified, God the Father, it did not take the Father by surprise. God is faithful. Notice the boldness of Peter as he pulls out his man card, and he says, you were the ones that put him to death. 
You were the ones that did this. Uh, You were the ones that nailed him to the cross. He did not flinch when he said this. His concern was not to please his audience, but to appeal to his audience through the power of the Holy Spirit. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. The crucifixion is an important element of our salvation as believers in Christ. So uh, a number of weeks ago, we had a missions conference at our church, and they gave these out. I don't know if you have seen. This is called the four, okay? It's called the four. And uh, this is an incredible sharing, witnessing tool that sometimes we don't know how to get started. We don't know what to share. Uh, we don't know. We just don't make any sense. And there's times where I'm sure you've shared Christ with somebody and you think, oh man, I botched it up. I was just everywhere. I, I, I don't even know if I made sense. This is help. This is a lifesaver, literally a lifesaver for me. The four is this. The heart represents that God loves you. God has an eternal plan for you. God desires to come into a right relationship with you. He has a plan. He has a purpose for your life. But that division sign that you see, it's a symbol of sin. But sin has divided us from God the Father. It has kept us from having a right relationship with him. My sin for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. And so without, with, with, or I should say with sin in our life, Uh, And not confessing that. Uh, We are hopeless people. And we will never have a relationship with the living God. But you see the cross. The cross is the essential aspect. One of the essential aspects of our Christianity. Because it was through Christ's crucifixion on the cross who died for my sins and your sins that we can have a relationship with the living God. And so... The question mark at the end is, what will we do with that? Will we ignore it or will we receive Christ by faith and put our trust in him for all eternity? Let me show you four of my friends. They literally live about two miles from here. So long story short, God plopped these four Mexican guys into my lap and another colleague's lap. And so we went over to their house a couple weeks ago. There are four brothers, Jose, I'm sure you would figure that out. Most Mexican people are called Jose. Jose, Raul, uh, Ernest, and Antonio. These four men are asking questions about Christ. So we went over, and I'm sitting there, and broken English, they have broken English, and, and so I want to make sure that I'm speaking slowly to them. And I was able to use this. And they got it. They got it. Peter is in a situation right now where he has a huge crowd. And he's able to help them to see the validation of who Christ is. And he's helping them to see that this very one that went to the cross is the one who offers salvation to everyone who would believe. And yet he says, you were the ones that put him to death. And so like these four Mexican men, they're close. They are so close to coming to know Christ. We gave them some Spanish Bibles. They've committed to reading through the Gospel of John over the next number of months. And so they're right in our backyard. And we had that opportunity. 
just as these people have an opportunity to hear the gospel. Look at verse 24. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death. The word agony here, moms, the word agony here is where we get the word birth pains. How many of you remember the birth pains? Just raise your hand. Some of you are still hurting over it. And so uh, the birth pains. Uh, So God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Death could not hold Jesus down. Really the third thing that, that Peter begins to share with these people, the validation of Christ, the crucifixion of Christ, but you better make sure that we share this is the resurrection of Christ. And he begins to help them to understand that though you put him to death, death could not hold Jesus down, that he resurrected from the dead. Look at verse 25 and on. Now, they, or, uh, Peter here uh, is sharing Psalm 16, which is a messianic psalm, and I'll explain that in a second. But follow along in verse 25. David said about him, meaning Christ, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My my body also will live in hope, because you will not abandon me from the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life, and you will fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried in his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact." Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what we now see and hear. Drop down to verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Peter quotes from Psalm 16. Psalm 16 is a messianic psalm. You know, well, what's a messianic psalm? David is alluding to a coming deliverer, uh, uh, someone who would come and be the Messiah, someone greater than himself. He is speaking of one coming in the future who will rescue humanity from their sin, redeem them. And this can only be accomplished through the cross and the resurrection of Christ. These are two of the most important elements of our Christianity. So let me give you an example this morning of that. So my grandma, she died when she was 99 years old. Uh, My grandma and grandpa lived in Baltic, Ohio. Uh, Watch it. There's a caution light there. If you don't see the caution light, you've missed Baltic, Ohio. Uh, Sugar Creek, Walnut Creek, and there is Baltic. How many of you have ever heard of Baltic, Ohio? Oh, wow. And so uh, my grandma died when she was 99 on a Sunday, And on that following Tuesday, my grandpa passed away. It was a dual funeral. And one of the things I loved as a kid going into my grandma's house was my grandma had this long black walnut table that some Amish guy built. It was gorgeous. And she would always have on that walnut table two centerpieces. Those centerpieces kind of accentuated the whole table. 
And I was thinking about how important it is for us to understand that the crucifixion of Christ and the resurrection of Christ is really the most important part. It is the gospel. The crucifixion of Christ, the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, this may help us. You remember, or maybe you don't remember, but in the Old Testament, people would come to the temple, they would bring bulls and goats, and and they would be slaughtered, and the uh, blood would flow out, and that blood made atonement for their sin, but it, it merely covered their sin. It didn't take it away. And yet, there would be a new covenant in the New Testament, one who would come who would be blameless, One who would come that would be sinless, that we no longer need the sacrifice of bulls and goats. I mean, you didn't bring any in here this morning, did you? But we have one that came and died for us. The cross of Jesus Christ is the centerpiece of our Christianity. When you and I have the opportunity to share, this should be something that is extremely important that we share. We leave out the cross, we leave out our future. If we leave out the cross, we leave out the opportunity for our sins to be forgiven through Christ. But then we see on the other side here, another element of our salvation, and it's the centerpiece of our life that Peter is telling them about, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is no hope beyond the grave. Humanity is lost forever. So you need the cross for forgiveness of sin, but you also need the resurrection, the hope of the resurrection, because it's our future to those of us who put our hope in Christ. They are the two centerpieces for our Christianity. This is why in Acts chapter 2, Peter is talking about the validation of Christ, the crucifixion of Christ, and the resurrection of Christ. And he states Psalm 16 as a means of helping the Jewish people see this isn't just something that he made up. This is something that was spoken of long ago through King David. I love the verses, 1 Corinthians 1, 18, for the message of the cross. Can we read this together? For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. The word power there is a Greek word meaning dunamis, where we get the word dynamite. It is the power of God. And the same power that rose Christ from the dead is the same power that resides within you and I because of the Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4 says this, For I delivered to you as the first importance that I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried. And can you imagine if the story ended there? He was buried. And we go home. But the story doesn't end there. He was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. So Peter quotes Psalm 16 to show that even though David is speaking here, Jesus is the Messiah. He would be the victim of sin. He would be the victim of death, but he would triumph from that. Even Peter verifies this in verse 30 when he says, but he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne, that descendant would be Jesus Christ, our Messiah, our deliverer. This is the resurrected Jesus. Verses 31 to 33, 
Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of that fact. You, you and I are witnesses of that fact. Would you say the word witness? Witness. We're a witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You say, well, I, didn't, I wasn't there. I didn't see it. But the fact that the Spirit of God dwells within you, and allows your soul to soar, we see the validation that Jesus is who he said he was. And so these people that are rallying around and listening to Peter are hearing this. So it is through Peter's bold message, validation of Christ, crucifixion of Christ, resurrection of Christ, that we see the people's response regarding Christ. How will they respond? Well, these are people that some of them are not happy. Because Peter is declaring that Jesus has risen from the dead. And some of them did not like to hear that. So you would expect them to grab Peter and, and to take him and pick up some stones and stone him. But this is not the case. What happens is something supernatural occurs. Look at verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourself from this corrupt generation. Those who accept this message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They were cut to the heart. Honestly, here at Mission View this morning, how many of you have ever been cut to the heart by something that God has said or accomplished in your life? Just raise your hand. You've heard a message. You're in your car. Somebody starts sharing. You're convicted by that. You're on a Sunday morning. Something goes on. You, you open up God's word and you read God's word and you are cut to the heart. The word cut to the heart means that your, your conscience, your spirit has been convicted by sin. Not by Peter, but by the Holy Spirit has convicted us of our sin. And so they are deeply moved. They are so deeply moved that they don't just say, yeah, I feel convicted by my sin. But they say, what shall we do? See, our sin shouldn't just make us feel bad. Our sin should cause us to say, what can I do? What can I do to rid myself of this sin that keeps me from having a relationship with the living God? We must repent. He says, repent and be baptized. Repent of our sin. This is a word that we don't use much today, but we should as a church. Repent of our sin so that we can become children of God, John 1:12. But as many as received him, to him he gave the gift to become children of God, all those who would believe on his name. Second uh, Corinthians 5:17. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, they're a new, new, new creation. The old things have passed. Behold, new things have come. That they said, what shall we do? They were gripped. They were cut. Have you ever said, uh, I was so, so convicted by that. 
That's the Spirit of God at work in our life. And they say, what, what should we do? We, you should repent. The word repent means to turn. It is a military term that I'm marching in this direction. And God stirs my heart and convicts and pricks my heart and causes me going from this path to turn and go the other way and leave those things behind. That's the true test of your Christianity. Have you repented of your sin? They're standing there saying, what shall we do? Repent. Turn from your sin. And be baptized. Now, baptism is not an element of our salvation. But it is an element of our salvation after we are saved. It's an element of our obedience to the Lord. See, Baptism is that outward expression of an inward faith. So if you get, just to give you a little bit, if you, if you get baptized without repenting of your sin, you just got wet. That's all you got. But when we repent of our sin and we say in obedience now, I want to show the world that I have changed, that I am different, that, that Christ lives within me. I want to be baptized as a symbol, as a sign, as a new identity that I am in Christ. The old things have passed. Behold, new things have come. I wear a wedding ring. This wedding ring shows that I'm married, okay? doesn't show that I have problems, okay? We have no problems. Um, it shows that I'm married. It identifies who I am. If you have a wedding ring on, raise your hand. Okay, you know what? It should tell the world. Men, it should tell every single woman. Ladies, it should tell every single man, I'm taken. I'm taken. I identify with my spouse. That's what baptism is. It says, you know what? Baptism is my identification that I've repented of my sin and that I am living for Christ. If you've not been baptized, what a great opportunity if you're a believer in Christ to let Steve or let one of us know, I desire to be baptized out of obedience to the word of God that I want people to know that I have been changed. So look at what happens. He exhorts and motivates him not only to respond to the gospel message, but he says the promise of salvation is for you and your children and all those who are far off. It's not just for the people standing there that day. It will be for their family and it will be for their generation and that next generation, and on and on and on. They received the word, and they were baptized. And how many people came to know the Lord that day? 3,000. So there I am in Malawi, Africa. And I'm standing there, and I'm preaching the word of God, and I'm sharing the great good news of salvation. And I said, is there anybody here today that just by slipping up your hands, you would want to ask Jesus into your life? And over 100 people raised their hands. And being the skeptical person that I am, I thought, they didn't get it. They, they didn't get it. I'll just explain it again. They're just raising their hand for raising their hand's sake. And so I went through the whole deal again. I said, is there anybody here that would just say, I want, by raising your hand, by coming forward, that you would say, I want to receive Christ? And 100 hands went up. And they came forward. And they said, we know what we need to do. We know. 300 people or 3,000 people that day came to know the Lord. It was, it was because of one man's boldness. 
One man's willingness to be obedient. One man who says, Lord, allow my soul to soar for your glory that 3,000 people came to know the Lord. Are we boldly living out and sharing the gospel? I don't mean in a brash way. I don't mean in an abrasive way, but in a bold way and yet in a loving way. There's a lot of people that are abrasive. Let's be honest in sharing their faith. They're in your face. I don't like people like that. Never have. But I love people who are bold, but do it in love. Peter was all in. The declaration of a changed life in Christ was evident in his desire to see his soul soar for the glory of God. Do we have that same declaration that we are all in for the all and all? See, I think for the church, it's one thing to voice that declaration. It's another thing to live out that declaration. So a year and a half ago, somebody told me, Craig, you need to read a book by the name of Mark Batterson. Mark Batterson is the author. It is called All In. It's not about the calves, okay? It's called All In. And after reading that book, it again confirmed the importance of stepping out and not being ashamed and loving people and being bold and letting your soul soar. And in that book, he gives several declarations of what our life is to be in Christ. And I want you to see them this morning. We're going to put them up here. And what I've done is I have brought these declarations this morning. Please come up afterwards, grab one, put them in your car, uh, someplace on your desk, uh, in your locker at school. That, you know what, I want my declaration for Jesus Christ to be something more than just sitting and waiting for his return. I want to be able to declare his glory as Peter did at Pentecost, boldly for the word of God. Would you stand with me this morning? And my prayer is this for us as, at Mission View, that we would not only say these, but that by God's grace, we would be living this out as the Apostle Peter did. Let's read these together. Quit living as if the purposes of life is to arrive safely at death. Set God-sized goals. Pursue God-ordained passions. Keep asking questions. Keep making mistakes. Keep seeking God. Stop pointing out problems and become part of the solution. Stop repeating the past and start creating the future. Stop playing it safe and start taking risks. Don't let what is wrong with you keep you from worshiping what's right with God. Burn sinful bridges and blaze a new trail. Don't let fear and suffering dictate your decisions, but feel the hand of God as you step out. Quit holding out. Quit holding back. Go all in with God. Go all out for God. That is God's desire for us. And as we see the Apostle Peter go from being overconfident to an overcomer, we see it because of the power of the Holy Spirit that is within him, that causes him to say, my soar, my soul has soared, and I'm all in for the all in all. I hope that is your heart's desire this morning, that as you leave here today, your declaration would be, Lord, allow my soul to soar for your glory. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for this morning. 
We thank you, Lord, for Acts 2. We thank you for the power of Pentecost. And Lord, what happened there, that 3,000 people came to know the Lord because a man was willing to be obedient and to be bold. And I'm thinking about our workplace. I'm thinking about where we work out. I'm thinking about the mall. I'm thinking about your neighbors. I'm thinking about your school. Those people around us need to hear that we, we have become overcomers because of you. And that we can share the great news of Jesus Christ. It's the making of a great leader. Thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. May our soul soar for the glory of you. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.